This week, we discuss cancer treatment with a Spanish researcher, Rick Simpson Oil, and how to deal with cannabis stigma. All that and more right here, right now on Critical Grass. Forget it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind expanding safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Pretty cold grass. My name is Cristina Sanchez. I'm from Madrid, Spain, and I am an associate professor at university at Complutense University in the same city, Madrid. As you can probably tell by the beautiful flamenco guitar piece, this week's guest hails from the beautiful country of Spain. Professor Cristina Sanchez from Madrid holds a PhD from Complutense University in biochemistry and biology. She completed her postdoctorate at the University of California, Irvine, and in 2004 she returned to Spain and started coordinating a new line of research with the goal of understanding and exploiting cannabinoids as potential anti-tumoral agents in breast cancer. More recently, she has also focused her attention on new cannabinoid receptors and their possible involvement in cannabinoid anti-tumoral action in breast cancer, as well as other types of tumors. So a lot of research into cancer and how cannabis can help fight it. I must admit, when speaking to Professor Sanchez, I felt this incredible sense of calm and relief. Kind of like that feeling when you go to the doctor and he or she explains to you in detail, but in a clear, calm manner, that you don't have whatever disease you think you're dying of at the moment, you little hypochondriac, and that somehow everything is going to work out. That was the general feeling I had when I finished speaking to our guest. In short, she brings very good news as far as the potential for treating cancer is concerned, and we still don't have the magic bullet, but thanks to her work, we are getting ever closer to realizing that potential. We didn't go into the details of her research, however, if you are interested in the results her work has produced, you can very easily find videos online with interviews and some of the lectures themselves. They're very informative and quite fascinating, to be frank. She does a very fine job of explaining the mechanisms of how cannabinoids affect cancer, as well as cannabinoid receptors throughout the body, and there's hardly a question she can't answer on the subject off the top of her head. In other words, she really knows her stuff. I wanted to ask her about the things that have surprised her or disappointed her in the field of cannabis. Well, it it surprises me that the movement is not moving faster. (laughs) And it also surprised me, and not in a good way, the huge amount of people that are trying to take advantage of the patients now. Uh, the huge amount of people, parents with sick uh, kids that are making brands out of them and exploiting them, sometimes with absolutely no other goal than making money 
uh, that surprised me in a not very good way. And the number of companies coming out of nowhere, selling products that are very bad quality products, making claims that are not true. So that's the scary part of this movement, which I don't like very much, to be honest. But on the other side, the more noise we make, the more access the patients will have to medicine. So it's a balance and we have to control it, but yeah. Professor Sanchez has the same fears that many people in the industry already have, and that is people selling bad quality products, making false claims, and profiting off of sick people under the guise of medicine. Sadly, this scenario is already taking place. One of the first things that springs to mind is something called RSO, or Rick Simpson oil. For those of you who haven't heard of this, uh, this is a cannabis concentrate invented by a Canadian activist by the name of Rick Simpson, who treated his skin cancer with a homemade batch of a thick, dark oil and claims to have cured himself. Many people online swear by this, and this has had a fair amount of success, at least anecdotally. Rick Simpson has claimed this harmless, non-addictive natural medicine can be used with great success to cure or control cancer, multiple sclerosis, pain, diabetes, arthritis, asthma, infections, inflammations, blood pressure, depression, sleeping problems, and just about any other medical issue that one can imagine. Rick Simpson doesn't mass-produce or sell any of the oil himself, as he encourages people to make it themselves. And therein lies the problem. Loads of people have taken his advice and have capitalized on sick people desperate for help. If you type in Rick Simpson oil into any search engine, you get tons of hits with cheap offers from dubious sellers from all over the place. Case in point, this is off of the globalsources.com website. Are you suffering from cancer? Then there is nothing to worry about. We are genuine suppliers of authentic hemp oil, which is very effective in the treatment of all kinds of cancer. We have had many testimonials from all over the world how our oil has worked in the treatment of cancer. Contact now. Do not hesitate. Buy in bulk for and sell to cancer patients in your region or buy for your personal use. We do not want time-time wasters, only serious people who believe they can get a benefit from this oil. I mean, with offers like that, how could you not rush to buy gallons of this stuff at 1500 US dollars per liter? It's clear they don't want time-time wasters because time-time wasters generally are question-question askers, and that makes snake oil snake oil vendors very uncomfortable. We're still a long way from having conclusive evidence about which cannabinoids and strains work best for treating various diseases such as cancer, and you must also not forget that not all cancers are alike. There is promising research on the use of cannabis to treat cancer, as Professor Sanchez can certainly attest. But before cannabis becomes a recommended treatment for cancer, large human studies are still needed, and that, unfortunately, will take time. I'm not saying not to believe Rick Simpson's claims, nor am I saying to avoid RSO at all costs. What I am saying is know what it is you're buying, and if you're buying it to treat cancer, working with an oncologist is a necessary step. Otherwise, it's a shot shot in the dark dark, and no one wants to end up dead dead as a result. As far as Spain is concerned, there is a lot of research taking place there at the moment. However, I wanted to know whether the research is making cannabis therapy accessible to patients. Believe it or not, Spain is not a good place to access to medicinal cannabis. Our government doesn't have a, a program implemented in the country 
So using cannabis in Spain is illegal. It's not illegal, it's not legal. So patients move in a very gray area and that makes them very vulnerable in terms of uh, health because they have access to products that are not tested, they don't know how much THC or CBD they're using, they don't know if their products have pesticides or heavy metals, they don't know what they're putting in their bodies. That's dangerous. And also insecurity in terms of uh, legal rights, they can get into trouble. And it, it just depends on the judge that is judging you. And that's a problem. So if you're a patient and you're in Spain, my advice would be going to a patient association, there are plenty of them, and, and, and share your experience with them and they will probably guide you through the medicinal use of, of the plant. This is a little surprising that patients don't have greater and easier access given the quite liberal drug laws that Spain currently has on the books. But is Spain alone in dragging its feet on medical cannabis? I would like it to see it moving faster. Again, that's my concern, as you can easily detect from my answers. But my perspective, I travel a lot to the US and to South America, and they are moving way faster than us. The pressure the civil population is making, especially in South America, and also in the States, is huge. And that's how governments change their perspective. And here in Europe, I don't see that. I don't see that. I belong to a Spanish association called Spanish Observatory on Medicinal Cannabis. And one of our goals is making our government aware of what is going on in the streets in case they don't know it. They know, of course, but in case they don't want to do anything, we just want them to face the reality. And we don't find the support of the civil population. So it's just us, a bunch of scientists and doctors trying to help people that apparently don't need the help. So it's really frustrating in Spain. And I think that's the case in, in the rest of Europe. I don't see a lot of movement. I see, and I've seen here also in Poland, a few parents that are making a lot of noise and that are fighting for their rights. And that's fantastic. But I don't see what I've, I've witnessed in South America, for example, huge demonstrations, moms saying, you can take me to jail, I will keep on giving this medicine to my kid because otherwise he's going to die. I've never seen this in Europe. And I think that would help a lot. So I'm optimistic and I think in five years we will have access to not only medicines like the ones that GW is producing, but also more... Um, handmade preparations, tested of course, that can be accessible to way more patients than have access now. So there is progress in the Americas. However, the rest of Europe also seems to be slow to do more for greater access to cannabis as medicine. In short, the civil population in Europe needs to put more pressure on its ruling class. This is not to say that there aren't activists or protests taking place in Europe, but compared to the New World, Europeans do need to take it up a notch, especially if they want to help patients who don't have a lot of time left. But again, aren't Spanish drug laws liberal enough where patients can sort of manage on their own? After all, Catalonia legalized consumption, cultivation, and distribution of cannabis last year. Are there at least some physicians ready to step up and help their patients? They are, but the medicinal users are completely unprotected. So you can grow your plants, you can make your cannabis oil if your neighbors don't 
see any plants or any products and if the smell don't bother them. But that's it. We don't have products, tested products. They are not allowed in the country. We don't have doctors that are trained in how to guide their patients in the medicinal use of cannabis. We have a handful of doctors, no more than that, in the whole country. And it's, it's really amazing because the scientific community is huge in Spain, probably is the biggest in, in Europe. And there are lots of groups doing preclinical research in cancer, in epilepsy, in lots of uh, central nervous system diseases. I mean, it, it's huge, the scientific community. But doctors, we don't find very many that are willing to help patients with cannabis yet. Mm-hmm. So I, I really hope that's something else that's going to change uh, from here to five years. So we have a lot of research and theoretical knowledge, but like many other countries, at least as of today, doctors are either afraid to enter the field of cannabis as medicine or have no knowledge on the matter, leaving patients in the dark. I asked Professor Sanchez if there was something other than ignorance holding things up. Not only ignorance, but lack of uh, wanting to know more. That's more dangerous than ignorance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Our, the information's there, they don't want to know. They don't want to know. They know that cannabis is a drug. I mean, I'm, this is a generality. Of course, there are some people that are interested in the field, but not very many. And I think it has to do with the fact that doctors in, in Spain, they have very good positions. So it's kind of risky uh, to take the decision to use something that is not legal or fully legal and put your job in risk when you are making the kind of money they make. So I think it has to do with that. Because mentioned in South America again, doctors over there, they don't have like permanent positions, so they are not as well paid as they are in Europe. And the risk they take by incorporating cannabis into their practices is not as high as it is in here. So they are willing to take it. And there are many, many doctors out there in South America that are craving for information regarding cannabis and looking for information everywhere they can. But here in Europe, I think they are more conservative. And of course, they are very close to the pharmaceutical companies as well. And, And this is something we have to keep in mind. So careers are on the line and no one wants to change the status quo. Sound familiar? In South America, physicians are happy to enter uncharted territory, whereas in the Northern Hemisphere, money and influence dominate the atmosphere. However, the global march towards legalization still continues. Up next, Canada, which will have recreational cannabis available in stores come October 17th of this year. With several countries now enacting recreational laws, I asked Professor Sanchez how she thinks things will evolve in Europe. I don't know how the country is going to evolve, but my in my ideal scenario, there will be room for everybody. There will be room for big pharma companies producing uh, the medicines like Sativex. There is also room for uh, dispensaries giving other kind of products to the patients. There is also room for self-growing. And self-cultivation and if you don't have the money or if you don't have the resources to get the medicine in a dispensary or in a pharmacy you should be allowed to grow your own plant so I think there's room for everybody I think controlling the products is important but I also think that with this medicine we don't need we not always need the highest standards of quality we are talking about something that can be easily produced that has to, to be checked, of course. We have to know that the, this product is not a danger for the patient. 
and that the patient patient knows knows how much he's taking of the active compound so that he can predict the effects when he changes the, the batch of the medicine. But other than that, I think the perfect model would include all those options for the patients. So a pretty hopeful perspective on what patients might have access to once the laws change in their favor. But why can't the laws be changed any faster? What is the biggest obstacle here? Well, probably the main problem is that we're still talking about a substance that is classified as a heavy drug. is listed as a um, class, class A uh, or class 1 in the, in the state uh, substance. So that makes things very complicated in terms of getting the interest of companies in making products or even implementing medicinal cannabis programs in other countries. So I think the first thing that has to happen is rescheduling of cannabis. And then we have economical interests uh, playing around this whole business, coming from big pharma companies that are not helping much to this movement. And yeah, and governments that are not very open-minded and still think that we are talking about something that is as dangerous as heroin or cocaine, and this has nothing to do with that. This is more like coffee or <laughs> alcohol and even safer than those two drugs. So in a nutshell, it's about the money, the financial interests, with big pharma and conservative governments being the biggest culprits. But change is afoot. Several beverage companies have indicated that they are investing in making cannabis products, including Corona Beer, and a tiny little company by the obscure name of Coca-Cola. This, at least in Canada. In the U.S., Republican former Speaker of the House, John Boehner, earlier this year joined the advisory board of Acreage Holdings, a company that cultivates, processes, and dispenses cannabis in 11 U.S. states. Nine years ago, Boehner was quote-unquote unalterably opposed to legalization. Now, thanks to his endorsement, cannabis is going mainstream. I wonder what changed his mind. I mean, it's clearly obvious that the appeals of patients and people affected by the drug war and prohibition haven't worked on politicians. Obviously, you need money to get their attention. But is that it? Is there anything that the average citizen can do to affect change towards cannabis policy? I think not only for cannabis, but in general for everything in life, uh, the key is information. So education is what we are, are, we as citizens, we should be seeking for. And patient, uh, I mean, citizens in general. If you're a patient, you should be reading papers, scientific papers, and you should be getting the information. Unfortunately, you can't right now uh, take it from your doctor. He should be the one giving you the information, but this is not a real scenario right now. So if I were a patient, I would seek for information and I would give that information to my doctor and I would try to do everything in my power to educate the doctors as well. And that's part of what we do in, in, in this association we mentioned before, I mentioned before, and that's part of my job also. I do research, but I, uh, I have assumed that part of my role now is also spreading this knowledge to the scientific community and to the medical community so that they can get rid of the stigma and, and see the reality now. So education. To me, the key is education. 
So according to Professor Sanchez, information is the key. But not just obtaining it, also sharing it with those in charge of making decisions concerning cannabis. Well, what about the stigma associated with the plant? That social pressure keeps a lot of people from learning about and sharing information on cannabis. How can you make something that's been around for decades simply go away? That's a consequence of education. If you have access to this scientific literature, and come on, we live in a world when where access to information is so easy now. It's not like 30 years ago where you had to go to the biggest library in the country to ask for the journals. No, it's not that. It's a click. So it's very easy. And once you have the information, the stigma disappears because it makes no sense. I mean, how many times I've heard that cannabis kill neurons? So you just have to read a bunch of papers to realize that it's the other way around. So it's just a question of education. And the rest is destroyed just with education. It sounds very simple and effective, but again, people still have their inhibitions about cannabis and don't want to be perceived as drug dealers or junkies or dirty, lazy hippies. I was curious as to how Professor Sanchez deals with the public perception of her work. Well, I don't get those looks because I speak at conferences where people are already Mm. willing to accept what I'm going to talk about. So I don't know if I'll go to the street now and I say, people gather around me, I'm going to tell you what I do for a living. That would be different. But the kind of uh, conferences I speak in, I know that the public is already willing to know about this field. So I never, I never ever get a bad reaction, just the opposite. People are extremely nice when they they see me confirming what they already know because they have been experiencing that wellness or that improvement in quality of life themselves. So we are just confirming what they already know and and they feel reassured and and happier. So we always get very, very positive feedback. But I think we are witnessing a change in in media as well, because before it was like that and still some media are, you know how they are. But in general, I think population is accepting and knowing that this is not a bunch of hippies doing drugs. No, I think people are starting to see that this is a medicine, that this is an option for many conditions. I mean, it's not a panacea, but it's an option for many patients. And if you, I don't know Poland, but if you ask in in Spain or in other countries, if you ask about medicinal cannabis, they most of them will tell you that it should be legalized. And that's the trend everywhere in the world. So Mm -hmm. we're moving in the right direction. So slowly, public opinion towards cannabis is changing for the better. And this is visible not only in the media. Almost anywhere you go these days, at least in the West, you'll find many different products with the iconic five-fingered serrated green leaf emblazoned on them. Most of these products are going to be of the CBD variety, meaning they are non-psychoactive. But now you can easily find various oils, tinctures, capsules, and so forth, in addition to numerous food products such as seeds, different types of pasta, flour, candy, soft drinks, and other sweets. So consumers seem happy to buy and use the non-psychoactive products and can admit to doing so without any guilt or shame. After all, they don't make you high. So in that respect, nearly everyone is on board. However, the psychoactive variety, specifically the THC, the precious gold, 
is still highly controversial, and not because we don't know what it does. Quite the opposite. We very well know what it does and have a pretty good understanding of what to expect from it. What we don't know, or at least what governments don't know, is how to maximize profit off of this thing that people can grow in their own backyard. And therein lies the rub. The demand is high. Supply can be adjusted to meet demand. It's just a matter of who gets a cut of the profit and how much. And as cynical as this position may be, I believe that is what is keeping prohibition from being lifted. Finally, I asked Professor Sanchez if there were any eye-opening or life-changing moments she experienced in her research. Well, the first, the first observations that cannabis or cannabinoids, cannabinoids we were using at that time, uh, were killing cancer cells, was striking. We were not looking for that. We were working on something different, and by chance we decided to work on cancer cells instead of the other cells we were using at the time. And when we saw that we were killing them, uh, it was really shocking, and actually it opened a whole new line of research in the lab that it's what we are still doing, so that was... That was very interesting and life-changing. It seems hard to believe that something as groundbreaking as an effective cancer treatment can be found by accident. And given the stigma surrounding this plant, which, according to the U.S. government, is a Schedule One drug, meaning it has no currently accepted medical use and a high potential for abuse, it almost seems too good to be true. It's as though someone here isn't being entirely honest with their findings, and by that... I'm not referring to Professor Sanchez and her research team. Where this coincidental path takes Professor Sanchez is yet to be determined, but you can certainly categorize it under happy accidents. How can people get in touch with Professor Sanchez? They can send me an email. It's very, my email address is very easy to find in the internet. If they combine my name with the name of my university, the email address shows up immediately. So that's the best way to contact me. Okay, excellent. Professor Christina Sanchez, thank you for speaking with me today. Thank you. Thank you very much. In case that wasn't clear enough for you, her email address is christina.sanchez at qim.ucm.es or just Google Christina Sanchez and Complutense University, Madrid. That's a wrap for episode number three of the Critical Grass podcast. If you like what you just heard, feel free to share us on the internets or wherever you might find people in desperate need of cannabis in audio form. My name still is Bogdan. I've had a blast. Hope to see you here next week. Ciao.